This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hear more from Free FM. For a small monthly fee, you can become a patron and support independent community media. Go to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out how. Hello and welcome to the Dharma on the Airways. Saying that reminds me of the prayer flags the Tibetans fly everywhere they go. The flags have mantras and sutras printed on them, and the Tibetans believe that as the wind blows the prayer flags, the mantras bless the environment. So maybe I'm like one big prayer flag sending out the Buddha's teachings, hoping that they will bless the Hamilton environment. I don't get much feedback about this program, so I don't know whether it benefits or not, but we can always hope. Anyway, back onto the topic, which is emptiness, or the Buddha's explanation of the nature of reality. Those with us last time will remember I made an issue out of realizing that emptiness does not mean something is completely empty of all existence. That is non-existence, and the Buddha never taught anything like that. Emptiness means a lack of inherent substantial independent existence, and the Buddha taught that everything is like that. Everything is dependent on something else for existence and is completely devoid of any type of inherent independent existence of its own. However, that is not how we see it. We see things and people as having an inherent independent type of existence which sometimes people may refer to as a soul when talking about people. But ask, actually ask them what they mean by the word soul and often they become tongue-tied. It's in fact difficult to categorize such a thing as a soul because it's hard to find if you go looking for it. People have said to me that the soul is that part of which of us which is permanent, independent and substantial. In other words, my body might change and become old, but there is something that is always the same inside of me, some kind of essence. The Buddha said this is, is just a fantasy, and no matter where we look, we will not find a permanent, independent me anywhere. It is, he said, all just the coming together of causes, conditions and parts, and the mind that labels. Nothing else exists at all. However, our mind grasps at things as if they don't exist like that. We see them as existing from their own side, not purely made up of other things. And that's our big mistake. Things and people, ourselves included, are empty of that kind of existence. So you can see that when we talk of emptiness or the void, it does not mean a total, total lack of existence, a kind of nothingness. Things and people do exist, but just not in the way that we instinctively grasp at them. Seeing them as inherently existent, we develop emotions and attitudes towards them. Those emotions propel us into action, and that action in turn leaves an impression on our minds which will result in an experience for us in the future. Whether that experience is happy or not depends on whether the emotion driving the action was positive like love, tolerance, patience, or negative, like anger, attachment, pride, and so on. The Buddha pointed out that actions driven by negative emotions inevitably bring suffering, and those driven by positive emotions result in happiness for us. That is why the nature of reality is so important for us. If we didn't have this false view, 
we wouldn't be driven by emotion to create karma. And if we didn't create karma, which is action driven by emotion based on wrong view, we don't suffer. So the most important thing to realize, certainly in Buddhism, is the correct experiential understanding of reality. I say experiential because it's not good enough to have an intellectual understanding of reality. That doesn't undercut the instinctual grasping of wrong view, although it certainly helps. Only when we can actually see how reality exists will we be free. And that takes a very powerfully focused mind and a laser-like analysis of reality, what we call a calm-abiding and special insight. And we've gone through how to develop calm-abiding and are now talking about how to develop special insight and what it means to gain such an insight. Anyway, before we continue, let's take a moment to set our motivation as usual, remembering that the best motivation is to gain enlightenment so that we can be of greatest benefit to all suffering creatures everywhere. If you can, please set such a, mo- such a motivation, or if that's too much, at least think that you're listening to this program so that you can attain your own enlightenment. Thank you. Now in his book, The Path to Enlightenment in Tibetan Buddhism, Keshe Loden talks about seven metaphors for the nature of reality. One or more may be useful, he says, to contemplate, to get an idea of how things really exist, as opposed to how we automatically grasp at them. The first is a reflection in a mirror. Let's say a young guy is going out to a party with a new girlfriend, takes a look at himself in the mirror before he leaves his flat. Having showered and spruced himself up, he may look at his reflection with some admiration. Oh, what a handsome fellow, he might say to himself full of satisfaction and high hopes for the evening. At the party, perhaps he gets carried away and maybe drinks too much, so that when he gets up the next day and looks at himself in the mirror again, he's bleary-eyed, pasty-faced and nearly bilious. He groans at himself and feels pretty miserable. When he looked in the mirror both when he felt elated before the party and miserable the next morning, he believed he was looking at himself. But he wasn't. He was actually looking at an empty glass. That reflected image is not him at all. In fact, it's not even a true reflection of him. Nevertheless, by identifying the reflection of shape, color and so on with himself, he projects an image, if you like. He allows emotion to arise and reacts to that. In the same way, when we look at other people or things, we project a reality onto them that isn't actually there at all. We believe that they exist completely independently from their own side. Then we develop judgments about them, believing them to be really good or bad, really ugly or beautiful, and so on. And on the basis of those judgments, we become happy or miserable in relation to the misconception. We may continue to create more and more deluded projections about them that cause us to suffer even further. But it's all just hallucination. As Geshe Lodin says, our attitude starts from a misconception about the mode of existence of things. It is further distorted by deluded projections which lead to deluded actions that cause suffering. The second metaphor is reflection of the moon in a still lake. When we see such a reflection, it invokes in us a certain effect. Maybe we're soothed. Maybe we feel romantic. 
or if we've just seen one of the Twilight movies, we might feel somewhat apprehensive. Again, we are responding not to the moon, but to a mental projection. Similarly, the person or things we see are mere mental imputations on a set of causes, conditions and parts, with no independent inherent existence at all. But we react to them as if they have a complete existence of their own. Geshe Loden quotes a King of Con- Concentration Sutra verse that goes, When the moon in the clear sky's reflected image appears in a clear lake, the moon has not moved into the lake. The nature of all phenomena is to be known like this. Then we can also use the metaphor of a dream to understand the difference between reality and how we experience it. I will let Geshe Loden explain this one. He says, In a dream, the tiger attacking you seems real. Your fear is tangible and you wake in a sweat. But real as the tiger appears in the dream, when you wake, you realize there is nothing, no tiger and nothing to be afraid of. The love affairs of dreams can be beyond this world and a residue of the happiness experienced sometimes carries over for days. In the same way, your experience of inherently existent events and people seems real. But when you awake to reality, you realize it was never like that at all. The events and people you encounter are merely imputed by your own mind onto aggregates, causes, conditions and parts. And he again quotes the King of Concentration Sutra which says, For example, a young girl in a dream gives birth to a boy and then sees him dying. She was happy at having him, but unhappy at his dying. All phenomena are to be known like this. Then we can also think of a mistaken sight as a metaphor for reality. The classic in Buddhism, which probably doesn't actually make too much literal sense to us in New Zealand, is the example of a snake. Let's go to India and the Commonwealth Games for this one. Because so much had been made in the news of snakes in the rooms of the athlete's village, let's say that when one of the New Zealand athletes went into her room, Perhaps she checked under the bed just to be sure. Lo and behold, there curled up was what she took to be a large cobra. Perhaps she screamed and people came running. Let's say one of the construction workers then peered under the bed and laughed. He reached under the bed and pulled out a length of rope. There never was a snake under the bed at all. The fear that the athlete felt was brought on by a wrong conception. She saw an inherently existing snake under the bed and it caused her to nearly have a heart attack. In the same way, we impute a kind of existence onto things and people and then react to that imputation. But nothing exists in that way and we are reacting to a mere hallucination. Reality that we see is also like a mirage. Again, we don't get mirages so much in New Zealand, but when I was living in South Africa, it was quite common to see water shimmering in the distance on the road on a hot day. Even though you could sometimes see reflections of trees and so on, it was all completely unreal. You knew you wouldn't find sheets of water for miles around. Perhaps some visitor from New Zealand who hadn't experienced such things before might have been convinced that he was driving towards a lake and maybe started looking forward to a swim. Our take on reality is like that. We think we are experiencing something that has a reality from its own side, 
but it's just like the mirage. So the result we expect will be at odds with what we think we're going to get. As Geshe Loden says, the hopes and expectations of cyclic existence appear so real and we are fooled into believing they exist inherently. As we chase after them, these phantoms continue to elude us and then disappear altogether. He then uses a magician's illusion as an example. A magician puts a woman in a box and then saws her in half. The audience gasps and maybe someone calls an ambulance. But it's all an illusion. The magician knows that and is not taken in at all and someone who comes by after the show also sees no illusion or even a creative illusion. He has no basis for fearing for the woman's safety. Keshi Loden explains that the audience are like ordinary beings in cyclic existence, like myself. We are fooled into believing things really exist and so generate all sorts of afflictive emotions. The magician is like someone who has a good understanding of how reality exists and so is not taken in by it, though he doesn't actually experientially know the nature of reality yet. He still sees things as if they are real, but knows that that they don't exist like that, and so does not respond with inappropriate emotional reactions or delusions. He knows that his mind is imputing something solid onto collections of dependent arisings. The person who comes by after the show is like someone who experientially knows that phenomena are empty of inherent existence. He actually sees how things exist, and so does not see things as having any inherent existence at all. So he has no deluded emotional reactions to them and no longer suffers or creates karma. Now the sixth metaphor is an echo. It's as though we hear an echo and believe that what we are hearing is a real voice. Let's make an example out of the sirens, the mythical bird women who lured sailors to their deaths by their extraordinary singing and music. Say the sound of the sirens was actually a peculiarity of wind and the lay of the land of the rocky island the sirens were supposed to live on. The wind fluting through the caverns and crevasses created sounds which echoed and re-echoed until it reached the sea and floated out over the water. Now when a ship reached a certain point, the sound made a haunting and captivating song, like the alluring music of seductive women. When the sailors heard it, being of course starved for the comforts of land and especially women, they believed that real women were singing an invitation for them to stop for a few days and join them. However, in truth, what looked like a small harbour from which the sound appeared to come was a rock-filled cove, not at all good for ships to anchor in. When the sailors made their way into it, their ship inevitably hit sharp, sharp rocks and sank. With actually nothing on the island but windswept boulders and shrubs, even if the sailors managed to get to shore, the chances of survival were small. When a sailors actually did visit the island and leave again, finding human bones all over the place, they constructed a legend about the deadly island of malevolent bird women with beautiful voices. Of course, this is a mixture of my own imaginings and the Greek myth, but it may go some way to describing how we are taken in by our hallucination and led to wreck ourselves. In the same way as the wind and land formation are just conditions that create sounds, 
So causes and conditions bring things into temporary existence. As the sailors believed real women were singing real songs, so ordinary people misconstrue what they are experiencing as real. As ships were led into danger through the incorrect understanding, so we are led to suffering through our grasping at reality. Everything we experience is just a collection of causes and conditions that has the appearance of existing inherently to our deluded minds, but everything actually exists similar to the echoing sound. And finally, the seventh metaphor is the Buddha's manifestation. A Buddha can manifest as many things to help beings, but none of them are real, even though they appear to be so. They are just an an accumulation of causes, conditions and parts. Hear more great content like this podcast by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89. So do you get an idea of how our minds make up a reality that does not exist? A reality that we then believe intrinsically in and react to with deluded emotions. On the basis of that, we create actions, the karmic results of which lead us into suffering. Now let's do a little meditation on some of the examples. Try to get a sense of how people and phenomena are ephemeral, just coming together as causes, conditions and parts, but how we grasp at them as if they have some kind of real, inherent, independent existence. First sit comfortably with your back straight and concentrate on the breath, letting everything just pass on by without getting involved in it. Now contemplate looking at yourself in a mirror. Seeing an image which you grasp at as if it were yourself. Seeing yourself like that, you develop emotional responses to the image. However, in reality, it's just glass reflecting colors and shapes on which you are projecting ideas of beauty, ugliness and so on. Like this, we grasp at people and things as if they were real when they're just an accumulation like the accumulation of color and shape in the glass.
Now remember a dream that made an impression on you. Remember how in the dream you experienced emotion that may even have stayed with you for some time after the dream. However, when you awoke from the dream, you realized nothing in it was real at all. The emotion was spent on mere fantasy. In the same way, we grasp at our experience as real and have strong emotional reactions when in fact there's no such reality as our mind paints. Then imagine walking in the desert and being very thirsty. You see what appears to be a water shimmering, uh, shimmering on the horizon and run towards it. But it just disappears. Similarly, when we see things as having a real existence, we have strong emotional responses to them. But like the water mirage, they disappear, leaving us always disappointed. Or you can think of mistaking a rope for a snake and you become very afraid. That fear is based on a wrong understanding, as are our reactions to reality when we see it as inherently existing.
finally think of being caught up in a magician's illusion. How we believe in what he is accomplishing and have emotional reactions to it. He, however, knows how it all works and is not taken in by any of it, so develops no disturbing emotions about his illusions. In the same way, we believe in the inherent existence of our reality and so react with emotional disturbance. When someone who knows how reality works doesn't allow the emotional disturbance to arise. And as someone who wasn't at the magician's show isn't caught up in any illusion or sees an, any magician, the Buddhas only see things as they really are and so have no painful emotional reactions to them at all. Okay, now please dedicate any positive energy from today's program to enlightenment to be of the greatest benefit to all other beings and come out of meditation. Time is once again up and we must go. Thanks for joining us today and I hope you'll do so again next week. Until then, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.